everyone, I'm Larissa Russell of Creative You, and I'm your host of the Creative Soul Healing Podcast. Here's where we talk about the connection between creativity and healing by interviewing amazing creatives, spectacular healers, and inspiring people who have used creativity in their healing. What does it mean to be creative? What is creativity? You don't have to write a best-selling book or paint a masterpiece or even play in a rock band. Creativity is in everything that we do, in the ways we think, in the way we run a business, in our everyday lives, we are creative all the time. Let's talk about how we are creative and how creativity helps us heal mentally, physically, and emotionally, right now on the Creative Soul Healing Podcast. Hi everyone, Larissa Russell of Creative You Healing. Welcome to the Creative Soul Healing Podcast. Today I have with me Blake Farha. Blake is a voice artist, musician, and author, fluent in four and a half languages. He says his Danish has gotten a bit rusty. Blake has spent his adult life hopping from country to country and jumping from career to career. He currently lives in Berlin, Germany, where he has devoted himself to his creative pursuits, voice acting, writing, and producing music, improv comedy, and podcasting. So welcome, Blake. Thank you very much. I'm excited to have you. That's quite a... um, resume if you will right <laughs> well i mean i had to i had to write enough to make you think that i was the kind of creative you wanted to have on your podcast so I oh, okay have... <laughs> that's what it was <laughs> so can you share some of your story and the path that's brought you here absolutely uh it's uh i'll try mm, that's a long one um so <laughs> i'll cut it short basically this has all been one giant accident um where i've where i've landed is a place that i never could have imagined being um, but yeah, I mean, since I was a kid, I started playing guitar and p- writing music when I was 13 years old, uh, like a, like a good angsty teenager. And, um, you know, from there, I mean, it's always been my passion, acting, performing, being on stage. And so my whole life without really realizing it, I was crafting, you know, a skill set. Um, I always wanted to be a musician. I always wanted to be a rock star. Um, uh, but of course, you know, I, I, I was told if you're going to go to college, you have to you have to study something that you can fall back on. So I studied economics, um, which I don't know. It's funny. I wouldn't say I regret it, but it's definitely something that I think about like, wow, I really had no business studying economics. It really did not make any sense. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I went to college, I studied economics. And after that, I decided I wanted to travel for as long as I could. So I lived in Spain for a while. I, I I did my last semester of college in Spain. I taught English in South Korea for 18 months. And, you know, I, I was just kind of hopping around after South Korea. I then went to France uh, for another nine months to teach English. And I realized at that point I was 24 years old and I realized, oh, if I don't do the music thing now, it'll never happen. So I have to try. So I then went back to the States, um, completely lost and unsure of what to do and decided to chase my dreams of being a musician. Um, so I lived in Austin, Texas for about 18 months and burned myself out completely, you know, writing music as much as I could, playing every Every day, I was constantly at a gig on a stage or practicing or playing my guitar at all times. And I just got really burned out. In retrospect, I set some very unrealistic goals for myself. In fact, I set one very unrealistic goal for myself, which was become a rock star. Uh, And that apparently was a bad goal. And I know that now, but at the time it made perfect sense. And now I'm like, well, that was unachievable. Uh, Hence why I burned myself out and had to bail. (laughs) And then I moved back to Europe. Um, I came to Berlin. As kind of a, it was kind of a fluke. I, I met a girl while I was in Austin. We fell in love. I moved to Denmark. We couldn't stay there, so I had to come to Berlin, um, and that's where I currently live. And it was a complete accident. 
but one that I'm just so thrilled about. And since I've been here, I spent a little time, I kind of gave up music, gave up creativity, just gave up everything and thought I'll be happy just working a nine to five, doing my job and then having my vacations, etc. And after three years of that, you can imagine uh, <laughs> I was not happy at all. And I was very un unfulfilled. And I was like, what's this thing that's missing like in my soul? Like, oh, yeah, I have to create. It's who I am. It's what I do. Um, it's the only thing that makes sense to me. And so from there, uh, luckily, I lost my job at that uh, startup. Uh, that I was working at for three and a half years. And that was one of those gifts the universe gives you, you know, which at the time I knew it and also was very angry about it. I remember thinking like, I'm going to quit this job in a year. I had just gotten a raise and I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to sock away the cash and then I'll quit in a year and I'll figure things out from there. And then not two months later, I was laid off. And almost as if the universe was like, let me just save you the the year of wasted time, you know? <laughs> and um from there, I, I did the Camino de Santiago. I walked on the, on the Camino de Santiago, which for anyone who's not familiar, it's, um, it's a, an ancient pilgrimage across Spain that goes to Santiago de Compostela. And it's, I think it's quite, becoming quite popular. And I think a lot of people are quite familiar with it. And it was, it was, you know, as with anyone who walks the Camino or many people who walk the Camino, I'm lost. I have no idea what to do. I've always wanted to do this. Now I have the time and energy to do it. So I will. And from there, I just knew it was time to completely, you know, change everything. I didn't want to go back to work. I knew I didn't know where to go, but I knew I couldn't go back to teaching English, working in a frozen yogurt shop, uh, working in finance, working as an economist uh, or in the economic sector, working at a startup, working as a web developer. I just knew all of that. It was in the past and it had to stay there. And when I came back, I started I, I fell into improv comedy and it just completely changed my life uh, in, in a way that I, I could never have anticipated. And it's brought me to where I am today, which is doing voice work and uh, doing uh, I'm working as a voice artist now full time. Um, I use my voice to tell all kinds of different stories, whether it's for YouTube videos or podcasts. I just recently did my first feature length animation film uh, for a German pr production company here um, and uh, even did my first TV show, which was I had a small part in a German TV show, which is very exciting. So it's just a, I mean, it, it's like The Alchemist, you know, that book uh, by Paolo Coelho, where the the. The protagonist is looking for something and it was there all along. He was, you know, it's right. And he comes full circle. And that's what I feel like my life story has been. It's just been me avoiding the very thing that I wanted until I came right back to it. Yes, absolutely. And I, just as you're talking about improv and improv is all about saying yes, right? So. Absolutely. Yes. And <laughs> so. the and is very important. You have to, yes. you know, it's about saying yes and adding to it as well. You know, it's not just saying yes, it's agreeing and adding and bringing something else to the table, something new and exciting to the table as well. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And um, it's funny, my, my brother lives in Berlin. Uh, he's oh, really? a dancer. Yeah. And so I just find it interesting that a lot of uh, creatives end up in Berlin um, mm. or Germany because they treat their artists very well, right? They, they do yeah, treat it's their it's definitely easier to be an artist here than I would say in a lot of places. I think there's a lot more support for the arts in general here uh, than there are certainly than what I was able to find back home in the States. Um, and I think uh, it's, I think that can be a really, and, and not just Germany, Europe in general uh, can be, a, there's, you know, there's so many government grants and there's, I mean, there's really money for these things. So it's, it's not unusual to find artists who are making a living in Europe as, you know, in their art. I think there's also a different outlook on art here and being an artist. I think in, in the States, I always had the feeling of if you're not, you know, people always ask that question, you know, 
oh, you're a musician. Have you made it? And it's like, well, what does that mean? What does make it mean? Because am I a millionaire rock star that you hear on the radio? No. Do I make my living from my art? And do I play music every day? And do I get to live my passion? Yes. Uh, if you ask me, that is making it, you know, and I've, I've really had to work hard to shift that mindset because it wasn't until I came to Europe and started meeting other artists and seeing people, how they reacted to my being, you know, a musician or an artist. It wasn't that question. Do I know you? Well, then you're not really an artist. It was, oh, you're an artist. You do this. That's art. Therefore, you're an artist. It's as simple as that, you know, and uh, the recognition of that is uh, something that I didn't get a lot of. I feel like it's not really in our in the culture of of the, you know, the U.S. It's either you made it or you didn't. And uh, that can be quite. Uh, quite bad. <laughs> quite a bad way to go about things, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So what does healing with creativity mean to you? Yeah. So I have struggled my entire life with depression and anxiety, severe, severe depression and anxiety. And it's only in the last, really since the beginning of the pandemic, that things have really started to turn around. Um, and I mean, for me, this is this is without knowing it, I think for a long time, especially when I was younger, when I was in high school, I didn't even know what depression was. I didn't know it was a thing. And, and now, of course, these are things we talk about much more openly. And certainly, I think the younger generations are beginning to finally speak about mental health issues and it's becoming very normal. Um, but when I was growing up, nobody talked about it. I didn't know anyone who had depression. I knew a lot of people who had depression, but nobody talked about it. Nobody knew they had it. And I didn't either uh, because nobody talked about it. I just thought that I was a bit sensitive, you know. Um, and without realizing it, you know, that was always why I wrote music. That was always what I wrote music about. I mean, even from the beginning as a young, a young man, you know, I, I didn't necessarily write the love songs that people that you generally kind of write in the singer songwriter genre, which I was always a part of. Um, my acoustic guitar was always helping me to express what I was going through in my head. And it was very rarely about love. It was much more frequently about those existential crises that you go through. And every time I would be feeling something, you know, going through a phase, um, I would naturally come to the guitar and I would naturally strike a note that would just resonate with whatever was going on in my heart and my soul and my head at the time. And I would think, oh, that feels really good. That's this, that, that's, I don't know. I don't know how to put it, but it's like when I strike that chord or strike that note, I just know that that's what I'm feeling. And that note speaks all the emotions that I can't clarify with words that I can't, you know, that I just can't quantify uh, verbally. And by the time I'd finished writing the song, a lot of things would happen. First of all, it would give me the chance to express, you know, all those things that I don't know how to put words to um, and really feel it. You know, you really feel the music. You physically feel the sound waves as they're vibrating through your body. Secondly, it would take my mind off of things because I'd be so focused on writing and creating the music that I would, it would help to break that loop, that cycle in your head, that destructive rumination that just takes you around and around and around and down the spiral. And so by the time I'd finish the song, I would just feel so much better. And this might take uh, a day, it might take weeks to finish a song, but it's that process that just keeps you coming back and keeps you productive and keeps you feeling something that isn't for, for me that wasn't it was feeling something that wasn't just my own misery you know and it was giving it almost a, a reason to exist and giving it a voice and letting it out through the music itself and I think that's what creative healing is for me it's it's using creativity to to genuinely heal to truly almost like exercise the demons as it were uh, from inside yeah and and I think that's so true because when we, when we get into, I call it the flow, when we get into mm. that flow, 
and we can, you know, forget about the other things. And, but it's also a processing time, right? It allows us to, to work through whatever it is. So Absolutely. I think that's so important. Yeah. 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 And what inspires you in the work that you do? Uh, obviously like other artists, um, doing, doing great work. You know, I think I've, I've been thinking a lot about this actually, uh, lately, um, because it's a funny thing. Sometimes, um, when some, an artist that I really like creates great work kind of does two things. One, it kind of sets me to obviously comparing myself to them, which is not healthy. Um, and that's not what you want, but it is a natural thing, I think. And, uh, sort of thinking like, well, can I do that? Have I done something like that? And simultaneously it makes me think, God, that's what I want to do. I just want to create great things. Like when, when I think about why I get up in the morning and why I like come to my studio and, and try to try to write music and do my voice work and do my, my voice acting. I think a lot of it comes from just the sheer joy of creation. That's really what it is at the end of the day. And when I see an artist who has produced something great, whether it be a beautiful piece of music or a really fantastic film or an excellent novel, all I can think is like that must have been so exciting for them to create. And they've really put something out in the world that has an impact on people, whether it's just for fun and it makes people escape their day for five minutes or whether it truly moves people and makes them consider things and, and change things in their life. You know, they're both valid. And um, that's what I always feel like I want to do the same. I, I just want to bathe in that process of creating and making and the joy of bringing something beautiful to life and then sharing it with people. Um, and I think more than anything that inspires me just knowing it's maybe the sharing, it's the, the creating and then putting it out there in the world and letting the world interact with it. How, how you know, how, how, how they, how they want, how they can. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about that with my clients often. It's about the creation part is a separate from the sharing part. And totally. that sharing is like this extra, um, oomph to what you do, if you will. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's really important and you don't have to share everything, no. but, but sharing that sort of what you're proud of, what you're, and I, I know you have a, a book I think you're proud of. Do you want to yes. tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I can tell you about that. Um, yeah. So when I went on the Camino de Santiago, uh, it was on the back of some pretty intense therapy that I was going through at the time. Uh, it was my second time back in therapy and I had made, you know, some progress and was feeling pretty good. And then I lost this job and my therapist and I decided that, you know, it would be really useful to journal while I was on the Camino to really help process those thoughts. And of course, like I ruminate, like I, like I think so many people who suffer from depression and anxiety, I ruminate. My brain just gets stuck in loops that I can't get myself out of. And there's a lot of research that shows how powerful journaling can be to act as a new filter for those thoughts so that now you're you're actually thinking differently about them than you would if you just kept them in your head. You're you know putting them through a different filter and that allows you to process them better or in a different way. So I did this and I kept a journal the entire Camino and uh, for 30, I think it took me 29 days to complete the Camino, the, the first stretch of the Camino. And for 33 days, I was on the Camino. So I was journaling every single day. And when I got back from the Camino, when I finished, uh, I was in Coimbra, Portugal, and I was just sitting back in, in this like sort of hostel, just trying to process the entire, you know, experience, um, which, as you can imagine, is a, a lot to process. And I was reading back over my journal and I realized that um, what I had written was really I felt like there were a lot of lessons that the Camino had given me and but that I'd learned along the way. And I thought, you know, there are a lot of people who would benefit from these lessons who don't have the time, the money, the energy, who, for whatever reason, will not be able to go on the Camino. 
but would enjoy and would learn something from the experience that I had. So I decided to publish my journal and uh, I published the journal itself completely unedited, completely raw, um, because I thought if I learned anything on the Camino, if there's anything to be gained from my experience, it's the raw uncensored nature of it. It's the true experience that I had. That's the thing that is that, that, that imparts the lesson. If I were to go through and edit it, it would lose that because now it's, it's a voice that I'm trying to create. Um, and because I never intended to publish it, it really truly is like my genuine thoughts. I was really strict and I told myself I would write whatever was actually going through my head, whatever I was actually feeling at the time, whatever I was actually experiencing, because otherwise it wouldn't serve me at all. And so what I published is that journal and it's that raw experience of my, my 33 days on the Camino. And every chapter, every chapter is one of the days on the Camino. And it's just, it talks about everything from the countryside, the, the scenery that I was going through or the horrendous industrial wastelands that I was going through because there are those as well on the Camino. It's not all beautiful. Um, the people I was meeting, the things that I was experiencing, what was going on in my head and so this is the book that I published and there's a forward and an afterward that I added to the book, the forward to kind of give context to the journal itself and the afterward to let the reader know what then took place. Because I think a lot of us want these happy ending stories. Um, I think a lot of us want to believe that there's a thing like the Camino out there that you can just do it and you're fixed and you're done and you don't have to worry anymore and it's all over. And that was not the case at all. And I think, I don't think it's the case for anyone, or I think it's very rare if it is the case. And so the afterward, it took me two years to finally finish publishing the book, uh, three years actually. And so the afterward was written about those two years. What happened after I came back from the Camino? What were the things that took place in my life? And what did I actually learn from that experience? Um, and how, you know, what, what path did I take after I got back? Because when I was back, it, it wasn't long before I was back into depression, back into all the, the same cycles. And before I wound up publishing the book, before the publish was actually finished, I was in the hospital. I, I was hospitalized where I, I checked myself into a mental, into a psychiatric ward uh, for the depression that I was going through. So it's not all rainbows and sunshine. And I think it's important to understand that these, these experiences that we have in our life, and I, they don't always have that Hollywood movie feel to them. And I don't think that that means that they're less valuable. I just think it means we need to contextualize and understand what are the things to be gained from these experiences because they're probably not gonna they're not gonna solve your problems for you but they can help you get the perspective you need to begin solving those problems and that's really what I think it's all about yeah yeah absolutely and and it's so true we think there's going to be a fix right mm. and we're, we're always looking for that that quick cure that quick fix and, and we just want to be done with it and it's a lot of work you just keep taking away layer by layer. Mm. And uh, I think when you're done, you're done here, right? Like that's our life yeah. process, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. like, absolutely. <laughs> so don't look for the quick fix. Let's just, uh, you know, layer by layer, get through, keep working on it, keep working on it and have a long life. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. I mean, there is no silver bullet. There is no quick fix. And I think that unfortunately, a lot of things are being marketed as that, you know, and I think um, the Camino, as it becomes more and more uh, well-known and becomes, there, there are movies about it now, and there's a lot of people who have written about their experiences. I do think it's being marketed as that, as this sort of silver bullet. You can just go on the Camino, do 30 days of walking, and you'll come back a new person. And that's ridiculous. I mean, I think that's, and I think it's really dangerous to 
to send a message like that because it gives people false hope and people do go with false expectations and uh, unrealistic expectations. And I just, I don't think that that's how we can serve ourselves best. As you say, it's, it's a process and everything is, it takes time and, you know, you'll come back from the Camino, for example, and, and the Camino is just one example of one of these sort of life-changing experiences, you know, in quotation marks, um, that people go on to try to solve these problems. And, you know, it was like two years later and I'm still like unpacking things from the Camino, you know, things that I experienced and like, oh, that's, that's the lesson to be learned. You know, it isn't immediate. It takes a lot of time even for those one singular experiences to you know, to, to give their answers or to, to like, to, to blossom in a way that you can actually make sense of it. Um, yeah. yeah and, and I think that's, that's what we have to remember. It is a process and it is about peeling back those layers. And as you said, it doesn't really end. It's never, you're never done. You know, you're never done. Let's hope not. Just keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what, with all the things that you've done and all the travel and all the amazing um, accomplishments, what would you say you're the proudest of in your life? I would say uh, accomplishing the the Camino de Santiago, accomplishing, let me rephrase that. There is no like doing the Camino de Santiago, right? If some people do it for three days, they just go for a few days of, of hiking. There is no, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's important to remember, it's not like a thing you achieve. Um, but I did want to walk from where I started to Santiago de Compostela. That was my hope. And I achieved that. And I felt really, really proud of that. And I still do, you know, that was, it was something I was really afraid I would be unable to do. Uh, in classic Blake fashion, you know, my brain was telling me, you won't be able to do this. You, it's just not possible. And I talk a lot about that in the book. In the, in the days before I went on the Camino, I began the journal uh, to help put myself in the, in the mindset of why am I doing this? Why am I writing this journal? What is this all about for me? And the fear in that is so palpable to me. It's so visible. I mean, I write about it a lot. I was terrified that I would be somehow unable, that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't strong enough or healthy enough. So when I, when I did manage to reach Santiago de Compostela and, you know, I mean, it was, it was a, a beautiful moment. Um, but one that was full of its own lessons for lots of, lots of reasons. I think, uh, often these like climax moments you go, Oh, is, is this it? You know, <laughs> this wasn't what I was expecting. I thought it would feel better, but that was one of the things I was proudest of certainly. Um, and yeah, I recently, I recently was, uh, um, cast as a, a character in a, in a, um, an animated film that was just, that was, that's being, that's being produced. Uh, that was, that was a very proud moment for me for sure, because it, you know, there was a moment where I was in, in the recording booth and I was like working with the, with the, with the director and I realized like, this is it, you know, like, and, and it comes back full circle actually to this conversation we were having earlier, like what is making it, right? Because does anyone know who I am? No, am I famous? Absolutely not. Uh, will I ever be? Almost certainly not. Um, but when I was in that room with them, you know, and, and of course, like, that's what my brain always wants, right? Like, to, that's what I always was shooting for, for as, a, as a young teenager. That was it. Like, I'm going to make it. That's, that's the whole dream is to make it. And I was in that studio and there was a moment where I was like, do not let this be lost on you you have made it. You know what I mean? Not because you're, you're famous now. You've made it because you're living your dream and your dream is to perform and you're being, you're being paid to perform uh, and to create this character and to bring it to life. And when I really let that sink in, I was like, man, this is, this is it. Like I've, I've made it exactly where I wanted to make it. I'm living exactly the kind of life, more or less with some tweaks that are still going. As we said, it's never over um, that I wanted to live since I was, a, since I was a young man and that I got very very far away from for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's so common for creatives that we do get far away from, 
from what we want or need mm. because it's not mainstream. It's not what's expected of us. And so, I don't know, take the path, you know, that's already already there for us and instead of creating our own path, I think, and creatives. And, and when you can do that, then you can sort of settle into yourself and be like, this is what I needed. This is where Absolutely. I was supposed to be. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So if you could change one aspect of our society through your work, what would that be? Wow, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> let's think. Let me give me one moment to, to ponder that. I don't know if I have a good answer for this, but I can say something that I something that I'm constantly trying to relearn and something that it's it's hard, right? Because it's so complicated. You know, we don't live in a world where everyone is living the same experience. Um, and it depends on where you come from. And the message that I would have maybe comes would only be really would only make sense from a very like sort of privileged place. I'm not really sure, but certainly from my experience and what I've lived, you know, I, I was, I grew up in a world or at least in a society that told me that it's all about money. It's all about making money and you got to make money. And I understand a lot of why that is, you know, I mean, it was certainly a message that I got a lot, um, not just from family, but from teachers and, they don't tell you it's all about money, but it, again, that whole message of be sure you can go get a go a degree you can fall back on and blah, 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 blah. I would love to change that, man. You know, life is so short and we are all going to die and much sooner than we want to for most of us, uh, you know, like whether it's in, in two days or in a hundred years, when that day comes, you'll probably wish you had a little more time. And we spend so much time being worried and being afraid and wanting to make sure that we have enough. And I think... I don't really know how to like articulate it, but you've got to enjoy it. You know, you've got to enjoy this, this experience. We don't know. Maybe there's only one life. Maybe there's a million who knows, but like, I think the best information we have to go on is argues. We got one chance at this, you know, you get one go. And if you're chasing money and you're chasing material wealth and you're chasing that stuff, it's just, it's not a very interesting message, I guess is what I'm learning as I'm, <laughs> as I'm articulating this, but man, just like, relax, take it easy and do what, do what feels good, do what feels good to you. And, uh, and if it doesn't feel good, stop doing it, you know, <laughs> like as soon as you can, as soon as you can make that, make a switch to something that does feel good, do that because what's the point otherwise, you know, what's the point? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's so true. We have a, a 17 year old niece. She's like brilliant in school and all of that. And uh, you know, I offered her a job recently and she's doing some videos and things for me. And her right. dad said to her, that's not a real job. And it's like, uh, you're doing work, you're getting paid and you don't have to go out. And it's like, how's that not a real job exactly? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you need to be out there in the world, in a cubicle. In. A <laughs> but, you know, it's crazy because I mean, I mean, I, I, I exactly as you say, I mean, I still struggle with this and I still struggle to understand that, like, I'm not living the, the life that I thought I was supposed to. And that's a good thing. You know what I mean? That's a good thing. Sometimes I wake up and, and the day that I have, I'll be like, oh, I don't know if I'm really doing very well. But like the, the reality is I'm making more money than I've ever made in my entire life. Uh, I work half the time uh, that I used to work. I'm working, you know, working, right, for things that earn me money, 20 hours a week to 30 hours a week, maybe. 
And the rest of the time I spend doing the things that I love, playing music, writing music that maybe no one's going to hear. Maybe no one's ever going to pay me a dime for it. But like, and I feel guilty. I feel guilty. Like I'm not working enough. Like I'm not doing the right things, you know? And then I have to stop and be like, no, you're not doing those things because you didn't want to do them. That's, this is the life you wanted for yourself. And I think that's what's so insidious about it is it's so ingrained in us that when we, even when we get there, uh, when we start living that life that we wanted, whatever that might be, sometimes it still doesn't feel right. You still, I still feel guilty. I think a lot of artists and creatives and just people who are trying to, who, who don't fit in that box they were given, um, they feel that guilt. They feel that, does it, like that, that, oh, am I, am I being an adult? Am I doing it right? And it's like, man, forget all of that. Like, what does it mean to be an adult? If you can work 20 hours a week, work 20 hours a week or less. <laughs> and if you can find a way to pay all your bills and play music and have fun with your friends and like pursue things that excite you, great you know that's the goal it's that's the goal mm -hmm. it, and it's so true but that guilt because you know culturally societally we're we're taught that you know work harder work harder uh, and it's like do we have to <laughs> do this we? exactly do we have to and the answer is no and maybe this is like i mean yeah, I just I just got back. To, actually, I just this week is the first week back. I've been away from from work or from studio for five weeks and I've been traveling uh, around, you know, just visiting some friends in Europe and trying to get some sunshine to no avail. Um, and it's been amazing. And there were so many times throughout that trip that I had to, like, stop myself because I could feel the anxiety bubbling up. And, oh, should I be away from the desk and should I be away from my work? And shouldn't I be like back on the grind and getting my, you know, emailing people and getting my voice out there? And, blah, blah, blah. and it's just like, no dude like you can take a month off this is amazing what a life you've built for yourself like try try to enjoy it you know <laughs> but it is it's it's amazing like i've been working for that moment for you know really my whole life and i finally arrived at this place where my life kind of is how i can i can arrange it how i like you know i was i had the immense privilege of being like wow i told all my clients i'm leaving i'm not coming back for a month i'll see you when i'm back and they're all waiting for me when I get back, much to my dismay, you know, but they, like life does go on. It's not that critical. You can take a month off, you know, and like I'm back. I feel refreshed. I feel excited. I feel inspired and I'm just ready to go. And yeah. And still <laughs> today I woke up at about nine o'clock and I like read, read my book for an hour while I was drinking coffee and I got to the studio at about noon and I'm like, you know, I did a little bit of voice work and sent in an audition tape and did, you know, did some work for a client and talked to an immigration off like lawyer. I mean, but it's now what, six o'clock. And I'm like, okay, that's my, my, I'm good. Like I'm done for today. And there's that part of my brain that wants to be like, Oh, that wasn't enough. You should work hard. And there's that other part that's like, dude, you've ticked all the adult boxes and you've found a way to do it with extra time to spare. Awesome. You know, <laughs> I think that is a brilliant lesson that we, if we could just teach people that, right. Cause I struggle with it as well. I work for myself mm. and whenever I'm not like at my desk or I'm, I'm like, Oh, I should be working. And it's like, why all the, all the work is done that needs to be done today. Yeah. That's it. This it's is the so importance. True. This is the importance I've found certainly for anyone who's out there freelancing and working for themselves, like making some lists. Cause I think that it's always easy to put in five more minutes, but if you can come up with a list of things, you're like, this is what needs to be accomplished today. And when I tick that last box, if it happens in an hour or in six hours, I'm good. I'm done for the day. And it also motivates you. You're like, wow. So if I finish this in three hours, I can be done for the day and then play my piano all day long. Like, that's great. And then you do it and you're like, cool. And you can come back to that. And be, when, you, when your brain starts going, you should be working more like, nope, no, no, no. I ticked all the boxes. I've done it. Today is good. Now I can enjoy the rest of it. I love that. I love that. All right. That's going to be 
our, our messaging for people from, from here forward, <laughs> tick those boxes and be done with your day. <laughs> exactly. Cause isn't that the problem with like the nine to five is that it doesn't, it's, it's, that was one of the problems I experienced and certainly want to hear a lot about. It's like, I, my job requires three hours of my time a day and yet I have to be there for eight. So what is that about? You know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. we want to get away from that. You know, <laughs> It's just inefficient as an economist. I think it's a ridiculous thing to do. <laughs> it's and that is so true. How much time do you waste when you're in a work environment like that in the cubicles, because you have to get away from your desk. And so you go and chat to somebody or you go get coffee or you do that. Yeah. It's like, if I could just do my job and leave, I would be out of here, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. I know that these are supposed to be rather short conversations and I don't want to go over your time, but I did actually, as we're talking, had a thought that maybe this is a more interesting thing that I'd like to, <laughs> more than like, don't follow money. Has no one ever said that before? Um, <laughs> I, you know, something that, and it goes back to what you're talking about. You don't have to share everything you create. Um, and and this, is, this is actually something that I've been, I've been practicing recently because I realized, let me start here create for the sake of creation. That's maybe a message I would love to give people, not for an audience. And again, I mean, my whole life, anytime that I thought, okay, I'm done with music because I'm not going to make it, quote unquote, as soon as I realized I wasn't going to make it, then I wanted to stop making music and I wanted to stop playing music because I thought, what's the point? If no one's going to pay me for it, what's the point? And now I'm 34 years old and I've come back to this point in my life where I'm creating music again, I'm releasing music again. And I realized for so long, I didn't like the creative process because I was worried about what people were going to think of what I was creating. I was creating for an audience. And I think that there's a time and a place for that, of course, if that's what you're trying to do, like make money from your art, really, then I suppose you have to consider that to some degree. But if you don't, don't, like, don't think about it, just create. And so recently I've been creating music and releasing music without telling anyone about it, not like sharing it with my friends. I'm just, I'm, I'm creating it, I'm recording it and I'm publishing it and I'm putting it out in the world quietly under the radar publishing it gives me a reason to create but doing it and not telling anyone about it I'm not worried about what anyone thinks anymore and now I'm being so much more experimental with the things that I'm doing and I've rediscovered the joy of creating and the healing power that it does have uh, and the joy that it brings my day-to-day life because that's the point right like you shouldn't you shouldn't create something because someone's going to pay you for it or that's one reason to create something another reason is because when you play piano or make paper mache or I don't know bake a cake it just fills you up with joy and excitement. And now that I'm, when, when I'm creating from, from without a desire to, to, when I'm not creating thinking about money or, or trying to appease someone, suddenly I've rediscovered that joy and that beautiful moment of oneness with the universe when you're creating stuff. And so maybe that would be a message, create for the sake of it, because that's what it's all about, really. It, it really is. And I know I got caught up in early in my art career in, you know, doing custom work and things for people. And then you're, you're trying to, to make it work. And mm-hmm. it just ruined it for me. It mm-hmm. ruined it for me. And I didn't think the art was good. And so I had to go back to like, no more custom work. It, you either like it or you don't. Yeah. And, you know, some pieces I put out there, some pieces I don't, I don't create just to sell. In fact, I, I don't even have anything out there right now. I still create. And one day I'll put it back out there maybe, you know, but I just need to create. And if people ask me, I'll show them and, you know, maybe sell them a piece, but I don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, I just need to create. Yeah. That's so important. So important. So do you have an inspirational quote or a motto that you live by either life or this week? Or <laughs> <laughs> I suppose many, uh, many, many, many. Um, 
You know, there was one that there's one that I come back to a lot, and it was one that I I, I reference uh, in my book a lot because it was what it was the motto that kind of got me through the Camino, and um, uh, I'm now I'm trying to think who actually wrote the quote, and I I misquoted it in my book. I had to like write the one, <laughs> the one um, footnote is about that. Uh, yes, William Wordsworth, who said uh, the road is life, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard this quote before. But, you know, I'd been reading it my whole life. and I've heard it or I'd seen it in places and it didn't really mean much to me until right before I went to the Camino, I was thinking about it and I realized I was I was kind of reading it wrong. And what what I what I came to realize that the quote means is the road itself, that's life. You know, it's and, and it's it, I suppose it's just another take on the journey is the destination, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We've all heard it a million times, but. I, I don't know how many of us hear, hear it and actually live by it. You know what I mean? And uh, I think we take it for granted. It's kind of this like trope, this cliche that we just hear over and over. But it doesn't stop being true. And it doesn't stop being almost impossible to live by <laughs> in this day and age. So, yeah, that's, you know, when I get lost and when I get confused and when I let the anxiety get control and when I start losing sight of things, I try to remind myself the road is life. This is it. The, the thing you're doing right now, this is living, you know, this moment. It's not like you're not living when you make it, you know, you're living in the process of getting to the place where you've made it, whether that's being a millionaire and a rock star or just getting to do a silly bird voice for a small animation film, you know, like that's life. That's maybe what I try to live by. Oh, I love that. I love that a lot. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we maybe haven't discussed today? Uh, yeah, you know what, actually one tiny thing, uh, you're asking me if there's something that I, I live by, maybe another thing, something that I say a lot is there is no should, there is no should. Uh, and you hear it a lot. I used to say it a lot. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I should, no, 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 no. Um, and like, I should have a real job where I work in a cubicle or something. And there is no should there. There's no right way to live life. You know, there's no, like, there's no, there's no good or bad. It just is. This is, we're just here. It's a, crazy mistake that we're all just here and when we have this idea of oh i should do something the question isn't should you or shouldn't you i think the question is do you want to or do you not want to and when you hear your when i hear myself saying oh i should this i should i don't know uh work harder then i ask myself okay no do you want to work harder or do you not want to work harder and the answer to that question is a much more powerful force because should seeks only to make you feel guilty about what you are or are not doing. Whereas if you ask yourself, do I want to or do I not want to? You go, oh, I don't want to work harder. Okay, well then don't worry about it anymore. You're done. Don't work harder. Go home now. <laughs> and, and I think this is true of everything. So I, I would recommend for everyone, try to remove that word should from your vocabulary if you can. And when you find yourself saying should, ask yourself, do I want or do I not want? And see if that can maybe be a bit more productive than just the guilt that you feel when you should be doing something that you're obviously not doing. <laughs> I love that. I do. I love that. Um, you know, I'm always telling clients to stop shitting on themselves. Right. Mm. And, but just asking, asking those questions, do I want to, or do I not want to? So, yeah, I think that's a really good way to reframe it. Mm. It's, it's, it's done wonders for me, to be honest. And I mean, I was raised Catholic, so guilt is kind of built into the whole, like, architecture of my being and so having to like find a way out of it and realizing that should was a big part of it. Uh, that's been very helpful for me. <laughs> we won't even get into that one but <laughs> <laughs> there's plenty to unpack there that's for another day <laughs> that's for another day i want to thank you so much for being here today i've really enjoyed our conversation oh as have i thank you so much for having me it's been a real pleasure yes 
And for our listeners, we will see you again next week. And in the meantime, I wish for you amazingly creative days. Are you a daily journaler? Do you want more creativity in your day? We have two great creativity journals to start your day with. One for people who already have a journaling practice and one for people who are new to journaling. Both are an amazing way to start your day. Both make the perfect gift for a person in your life. Check out Have an Amazingly Creative Day and How Do I Have an Amazingly Creative Day? Both currently available on Amazon. Click the link below to purchase yours now.